good to see you today. God bless you for being here. We uh, Today I just want to talk to you uh, about, we just entitled this, God's promises are yes and amen. That's a verse out of 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. It says, for all the promises of God in him, who's him there, Jesus, are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. And Romans chapter 4, verse 3 says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so I want to talk to you uh, out of those two verses, and uh, hopefully that your, your faith will come alive. You know, I'm amazed every week. Uh, people sometimes send me stuff, I don't even know who they are, uh, and that's okay. And sometimes stuff they send me is re really good. Sometimes stuff they send me is really bad. Uh, I don't know if there's a motive behind the part that I consider bad. But it's amazing to me how many Christians, you know, I guess I've, I've, my heart is so wrapped up in, in faith and grace, the Word of God, that when I see something that's contrary to that, I mean, all the alarms go off. And uh, someone had sent me something this week, and it was, it was a, a guy interviewing two if I called each of these preachers' names, you would know them. They're, they're, they're famous. They have television uh, programs, ministries, well-known worldwide, really. And, and yet, uh, out of the mouth of, of, uh, of one of these while the interview was going on, and they were talking about problems, and they were talking about you know prom, uh, problems that come in our life. And what they were saying was that if you grumble and you complain, while you're going through that, and this guy, this was his exact words, he said, you literally uh, drive the, the presence of God away from you. And I mean, people were going, amen, and hallelujah, and, you know, that's not true. Because you have a promise from God. And God's promise is what to the believer? I will never, what, leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Now, I'm not advocating you grumble and gripe and complain when you're going through tough times, but you, your complaining is not strong enough to drive God's presence and to make him break a promise to you. And, and, and yet, it's just, you know, uh, you can be seated. My, but that kind of stuff just goes on all the time, all the time. And I guess a lot of Christians believe that stuff, and, and I know they do. And, and, and it's, just, it's just simply not true. And how do we know it's not true? It's because we have a promise from God. And God's promise is that I will never leave you. He didn't say with the exception if you gripe and complain and grumble, then I'll leave you. And it, and it portrays God as it's coming and going. And I, uh, you know, I, I see this often uh, through social media, and I see it through ministry and, and stuff. And, and, uh, and, and I used to be a guy that you know, believed in some of this stuff. Uh, and we're still growing, okay? I'm not, I'm not at the pinnacle of the, you know, arrive someplace here, but I'm not where I was. Uh, the train has left the station. You know what I mean by that? Um, but, you know, I hear these guys teaching about generational curses. How I many of you have heard sermons about generational curses or how to break generational curses or read books about how to break generational curses? And there's, there's simply nothing to that. And let me tell you a, a, a truth. You will never find anybody writing a book, preaching a sermon that will teach about breaking generational curses that will do it from the New Testament. It's impossible. 
because it doesn't address it. The Bible actually doesn't even, doesn't even talk about that. And anybody that writes these books and teaches this to Christians today, they always go to the Old Testament and they pull out a few verses and then they kind of convince you that you, you, know, that you, you have to do something as a believer to break curses that are in your family line. Now, you know how many of you have heard that kind of teaching stuff? And it's totally wrong. Karen, can you put up uh, Galatians 3.13, and we'll just read a few verses. I didn't have that one for you, but Galatians 3.13, and the Word of God says that, that Jesus Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, the curse of the law was all that Deuteronomy 28 stuff. Remember those? You had like one chapter, blessed is this, blessed is that, and blessed is this. And then you go in, and it fades in, and then you got about two or three chapters of cursed is this, cursed is that. Remember those? I'm sure you have that on your refrigerator at home, right? Uh, and, and that's the law. That's like when you obeyed the law, this was the blessing that come with it. You disobeyed the law, then this is the curses that come with it. And that was, that was, that was in that time, that was when they were under, under law. But we're not under law, now we're under what? We're, we're, the law has no dominion over us anymore. Sin has no dominion over us. So Christ has redeemed us. Has past tense from what? The curse of the law. So you can't teach me anymore about how to break generational curses because I'm not cursed. Now, I grew up on this, and this, and amazing as this might be to you, it is to me. None of this is in my notes up here that I'm talking about right now. Uh, but, but I used to hear people talking about the Kennedy curse. I mean, sir, they got TV programs on the curse of the Kennedys. You know, listen. So, so Jesus redeemed everybody from the curse of the law except the Kennedys. Is that what you're telling me? Or, or everybody has been redeemed or except you. You got a curse on you or your family. Or, you know, one time you was a teenager, you went to a, to a prophetess or whatever, you know, at a carnival, and, and she put a curse on you. Listen, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law have, how? He became a curse for us, for it's written curses to everyone who hangs on a tree. Next verse. <laughs> that the blessings of Abraham. Now, this is why it's important for me to talk to you a little bit about Abraham. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, that's, that's us, non-Jewish people, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise. There's that word, the promise of, of the Spirit through faith. Okay, let's just keep going. Brethren... I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. In other words, if you make a covenant here in this earth, a will and testament, your last will, and it's, it's, nobody can change it. And, and, and what he's saying, Paul is saying, that's just a, a puny man's covenant, but nobody can annul it. Now what he's talking about, if God makes a covenant, then if, if a man's covenant can't be annulled, then when God makes a covenant, you guarantee that's not going to be annulled, right? Next verse. Now to Abraham and his seed, notice singular, where the promises made, where the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to, to your seed. And that seed he's talking about is Christ Jesus. Now all the promises of God, all the blessings of Abraham are in Christ Jesus. God has redeemed us from the curse of the law because we are in Christ. <clears throat> and for a believer to still be cursed would have to mean that Jesus is cursed. Do you understand? Because why? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. When you get born again, you are, you are accredited righteousness because of belief. 
and, and you are placed in Christ Jesus. Now the next verse. And I say this, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before uh, by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. In other words, just what I said a while ago. If man's covenant can't be annulled, then you can guarantee that God's not. I think maybe one more verse. <clears throat> For if the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer of the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now this guy, Abraham, you know, a lot of you have heard He's called like the father of faith, right? And Abraham predates the law because we don't get the law until we get to Moses, right? And so it's, it's extremely important that we understand that when God's talking to us out of Galatians, he's saying that the blessing of Abraham is our portion. That comes upon us when we get born again. Now, now if you... You can read the New Testament at times, and, and it can seem at times that there will be statements that will almost contradict themselves. And I'm speaking specifically of the book of James, where James says that we are not uh, justified by faith alone. He actually makes this statement, but by works. And then he points to Abraham as proof of that. And then, conversely, you've got the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul is quoting the same verse out of Genesis 15, and, and he is saying that it's by faith alone. And it seems like that these two authors are a little bit at odds, but they're, not say, they're, they're saying the same thing. And, and, and Jesus, you got to go back to what Jesus said in John 8 when he was talking to those Pharisees. He told them they, that he's... They said, you know, we know who our father is. You, you know, they're mocking him really because he's the only begotten. And Jesus said, no, you're of your father the devil. That's what Jesus replied to them. And Jesus said, if you, and they said, we're Abraham's seed. We're seeds of Abraham. He said, if you were really Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, what is he talking about when he says, what are the works of Abraham? Before your mind goes off into a long to-do list, the works of Abraham, Jesus said this is the, the work of God, is to believe God. And so the works of Abraham is just to do what it's, it says in the, Abraham believed God. And it was a credit to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God's word. He believed what, he, he believed what God said to him. Now, it, it's an amazing, amazing story about this guy, and it's, and it's too big a thing for me to really jump on in, <clears throat> in one sermon but God interacts with, with Abram. He actually is Abram, Abram, and Sarah. And before we get Sarah, it's Sarah, really. But and, and that's a whole other thing. But as the covenant is solidified, God was known in those days as Elohim. And and the it, it is customary, like in covenant today, called marriage, that the the wife, the bride, takes. The, the name of the husband, right? And so when that covenant was made, then Abram became Abraham, Elohim. You understand? And Sarah got the H added to the end of her name, and she became Sarah instead of Sarah. And so it's just a, it's just a symbol. It is a token of the covenant that they made. And, and Paul talks extensively about Abraham. Now, God tells him in Genesis 12, he said, I want you to leave your family, leave your country, 
leave your kindred and go into a land that I will show you. Now, when he got that word from God, he was 75 years old. Right? Sarah was 65. Now, when you're 75, you already pretty well got things like you want it. You don't want to be messing up stuff. But now God speaks to this guy, and he tells him to just go, and he says, God, where are we going? And God said, I'll show you on the way. Now, it takes a lot of faith to unpack, uh, pack up everything and just go after that. But he goes after God. And then, and then the thing I want you to see, now remember, this predates the law, so we don't have the blessing, cursing thing going on here. Because we don't get the law till we get Moses and, and we got to get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and, and a whole lot before Moses comes along. But I want you to see something that Abraham's life mimics the children of Israel and their journey in a lot of ways. Now, I'll explain that in a second. But Abraham is told by God, leave all your, your, hand, your land, your country, your kindred. And then it says Abraham obeyed the Lord and Lot went with him. But he didn't fully obey, did he? Because he didn't leave his kindred because Lot was his nephew. God told him to leave him, but Lot went with him. Now, apparently Abram let Lot go with him. And I've said this, make a play on words, but when we go and begin to obey God, a lot of times we don't do everything God tells us, and later on it's going to come back to bite us. And it's not because God's doing it, it's because we made a decision to disobey. And so, and Lot goes with him. Now, he's going to regret that Lot goes with him. But when you and I set out on our journey with God, a Lot goes with us too. Right? You see, you see what I did there? A Lot goes with us. And a lot of that Lot that we should have left alone goes with us. And we're going to have to deal with it even though we're trying to walk in the promises of God. But that becomes a hindrance to us or at least an obstacle and it causes us problems. And so Lot goes with him, and then, of course, you know, we don't get very far in the journey here in Genesis 12 till there's a famine in the land. And, what, and this is where Abram's life parallels the children of Israel's journey into Egypt and out of Egypt. So because of the famine, then Abram becomes afraid of, of the famine, and, he, and the Bible said he goes down. When you go to Egypt in the Bible, symbolically, you're always going down. So they went, he went down to Egypt. And he went there because he didn't have enough food for, and, and for all his entourage, you know, and all, all that. So he goes down to Egypt. And, of course, when he gets there, the Pharaoh of Egypt sees Sarah, beautiful, even at 65, obviously. He wants her for his harem. He sends for her. Abram is afraid for his life, says, don't tell him you're my wife, tell him you're my sister. And, that's, and he lies. And again, listen to me, God never rebukes him for lying. How many believes that God's not for, liar, for lying? Okay. Now, I know people want to go over there to you and they pull out a revelation, you know, for all liars. You know, and when I was raised up as a kid, you know, if you ever told a lie, they said, you know where liars go, right? How many ever heard that besides me? Was that just my weird family? They said, you know where liars go, right? All liars go to hell. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Is that what it says in Revelation? All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Okay? Uh, and they'll, they'll say, there'll be no liars in heaven. That's right, there'll be no liars in heaven. There'll be no adulterers in heaven. There'll be no form, because those sins have been wiped off the record. Right? And the only reason that liars shall have their part in the lake of fire is because they haven't been born again. Because they're still a liar. Their record hadn't been expunged. 
Are you with me? So don't let anybody scare you with all that stuff. Again, I'm not for lying, but taking away the sin of the world means taking away the sin of the world. So you can't have it both ways. Abram lies. That's not my wife. That's my sister. Then God plagues Pharaoh's house because he has Sarah there. He plagues him. That guy gets a revelation that he's under a plague, and he realizes what's going on here, and he rebukes. He does, not God. He rebukes Abraham for lying to him. He says, why would you do this to me? And then he sends him away. All right, so now they're going to leave Egypt. But he doesn't send him away broke. He got there broke, but he sends him away wealthy. And he loads him down with camels and, and, and gold and silver and horses and sheep and even men servants and maid servants. Now, one of those maid servants is going to cause problems later on. And that's how we're going to get Ishmael, right? That's where she come in. But yet God doesn't rebuke him for lying. And, 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 and even under this grace, God has always been a grace God. God is dealing with him as he's pursuing the promises of God, yet there's problems that come along. Now God promised Abraham two things. He promised him, he, he, literally in one sentence, he says, Your seed, your seed shall inherit the land. So this is where we get what's called the promised land from. The land was promised. You've got promises from God in the Bible that you hold. They're promises. I've already quoted one of them. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. So you don't entertain anything that alludes to the fact that he will leave you and he will forsake you. And even though there's times that I, I get it, I get it, okay, you might feel in that moment forsaken. Because when you look 360, you don't see God, you don't smell God, you don't hear God, you don't taste God. God that's because you're trying to do it with your five senses. God's a spirit. But there's something awfully powerful about when you just believe God and you take him at his word and you just stand on the word of God. And so now I've lived long enough now that I can look back on my life and I can see times that when God spoke to me about something, it became more real to me than the, what people call the reality. And, and this is the thing that, that, um, that, that really uh, hit my heart this week. Now, th th this is how it works. Uh, what does it mean for Abraham to believe God? It, it means that he takes God at his word, and this is what I felt like God put in my heart this week, that Abraham so trusted me, he said, that, that my word became a force of reality for him. In other words, he so believed in me, God said, that, that my word, God's word to Abram became a force of reality in his life. And, and I think that's what the author of Hebrews uh, was trying to convey to us. He, I believe he had these stories in mind. When under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote Hebrews 11 and 1 where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So Abraham has been promised children, but Abraham don't have any children. He hopes for children, but he doesn't see any children. But God promises children to Abraham, and God's promise to Abraham trumps what Abraham sees, or shall I say what he does not see. Uh, it assures him that what he hopes for in his heart will come to pass, and it is evidence to Abraham that even though he does not see children, they will be the day that he will see children. They will be the day. 
Pastor Keith is sitting here and Jennifer and my wife and several, and I, don't mean, I just mean to highlight that there's people sitting here present that was there living this life and story with me when I was pastoring at Cornerstone, and they know this is to be true. And I know I've told this before, but this is my life, and I have to tell the same stories because it brings glory to God. But there was a lady in our church who went through a divorce. I was their pastor. I counseled them. It didn't work. They ended up in divorcing. Not because of her. She didn't want the divorce. It just happened. And there are people that are just victims of divorce. They didn't want the divorce. They didn't cause the divorce. But, you know, if another person wants to divorce you, they can eventually get it done. Okay? And so a very long story made very short is this lady went through a horrible divorce. And I counseled and counseled, and it just didn't take because you got to have two people working together to get that thing right. And we only had one. <clears throat> and so the divorce came, and it broke her heart. And she was very close to my wife, communicating daily. And, and I remember the day my wife came to me and said, today, you know, uh, her divorce is final. You know, and it's a tough day for her. And I remember when my wife told me that, I remember that day saying to her, it's, it's, it's both the best and the worst day of her life. It's the worst day because, and, 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 and see what gets confused sometimes, and she had people in the church, you know, lady, I don't mean with evil intent, but people were just, you know, sometimes you, you sound like you're prophesying, but you really ain't. And, but, and, but sometimes a person is needing that word so desperately, they take it as prophecy. Now, I always covet to prophesy to you guys because it does three things to you. It builds you up, edifies it encourages you, or if you're going through something tough, it comforts you. And I always pray that God would help me to be able to, to allow prophecy to flow through me to you, whether it comes corporately or individually. I, I always want you to be edified every time you come in here, to be built up, because this world has torn you down all week. And I want you to be built up. I want you to be comforted if you're going through something where you need God to comfort you, compass you with a fortress, what comfort means. And I want God to encourage you to put courage in you to go on and walk this thing out for God. Right? And I want you to be edified, and I want Jesus to be glorified. And what everything that's done, every song that's sung, every testimony, I want Jesus Christ to be glorified because he is the only one that deserves all the glory. Amen. Now, this lady was devastated. Now, she was hard on herself. And there one reason that she put up with so much, be careful, Brother Dale. One reason she put up with so much from this guy is because sometimes the church shackles people to marriage like it's a life sentence that you have to serve, like doing time. And I am absolutely not for divorce. I'm on God's side. God hates divorce. And, 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 and I've told you I've watched two of my three children go through divorce, and everybody gets hurt in those. Everybody. I didn't realize, I had never seen anybody in my family go through a divorce, but I didn't realize that thing's like a giant octopus with tentacles that reach in every direction, and people get hurt all over. You People get hurt that you didn't even know was going to get hurt. People get drawn into stuff, and it's just a horrible thing, and that's why God hates it, but he loves people, and he loves people even that are divorced. And yet I still see all kind of stupidity in the church when it comes to that topic. Can you know? I had somebody the other day saying, can divorced people be remarried? 
Well, let me ask you this. Can lost people be saved? Okay, there we go. Yes, it's, it's ridiculous. But yet, in a lot of church circles, they, they still, oh, you're, you know, oh, you've still got, oh, you're, you're, in, you're in sin because uh, you've got a living spouse or some, you know, some crazy mess. And they take the words of Jesus only, and they don't take what Paul added to that and, and, and the, the fullness of the, of the revelation. They don't understand that Jesus was answering when he answered that question, you know, to those Pharisees that they were trying to mock him and said, can we divorce a woman for anything? That's what they asked Jesus, Pharisees. Can we divorce her for anything? Jesus said in the beginning it wasn't like that, you knuckleheads. That's what he's talking to them. He, he, he's, being, he's being emphatic with them because they're just trying to, to, you know, they don't care the hurt that it does people. They just want to know if it's right or wrong. Can I do it legally and get away with it? And Jesus hated that spirit of that because Jesus elevated the law. They were always decreasing the law where they thought they could keep it. And all, my point is this. I, my, my wife, her, her parents, way back yonder, okay, but I remember they, in, in a church, I'm just, have, I'm, you know, this is the way deal, I don't think it's as bad as it used to be. I, 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 do, I do see hope. At least I don't hear about it as much. Maybe I run in the wrong circles now. But like her dad got voted in their, you know, XYZ church. I won't call it a nomination. But he got voted as the Sunday school superintendent. And then later on, and they got him in and set him in and blah, blah, whatever. And then later on they find out uh, that, that her mom had been remarried, I mean, had been married before. And so now they X him out of that position because, you know, because, you know, some reason that defiled him. Because his wife, he'd never been married before, but his wife had been married and divorced, and so he married her, and now we got him in the sunset superintendent, and we made a mistake because we didn't run a background check good enough. And so they removed him out of the office. Am I telling the truth, Jillo? Okay. So they removed him out of the office. That hurt them severely. This is going to be a shocker to you. They didn't stay at that church. They, they didn't stay at that church because the hurt was too deep. How are you going to stay at a church that does that? So in other words, you, you're, you, you've got unforgivable sin because we're holding it against you. We're holding it against you. And then you're trying to figure out, is God holding this against me? Is he using them to hold this against me? Or is God forgive me, but they're still holding it against me? Either way, you, ain't get, you can't stay there if you got any sense. And that kind of stuff still goes on today. The pastor that I went to and told him and looked in his face and was the first human I said out of my mouth, I'm called to preach to. That pastor could never be an ordained minister in the denomination that I was in because he had been married and divorced before he ever met Jesus, before he ever was born again, and he, he got married and divorced and had a kid. Then he met this other lady. They got married. God apparently didn't do a background check on this guy because God saved him. And then God made a big mistake and called him to the ministry. And God called him to preach. And he was one of the greatest pastors. And I probably learned more under him than anybody else. But he could never be an ordained minister. He could only be a licensed minister. And the reason he, ever, he couldn't be ordained in the denomination is because he had a previous living spouse, they said. And somebody's operating in some kind of level of habitual sin. But we're go it's just spirit of stupid. The devil can't even believe that church is so stupid to believe that. That even amazes the devil that we're that dumb. But all I'm telling you, now I know that sounds kind of, I don't know how that sounds to your ears, but that's the kind of foolishness 
Somebody wrote me this week, and, 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 and I started to read to you, but it would sound like I'm bragging on myself, so I decided not to. But the one part that stood out was they said, you know, I've listened. I, the guy said, I listened to this preacher and that preacher, you know, these grace guys. But they said, I, I've never heard a guy like you. And this guy doesn't even live in this state, okay? He said, but I never heard a guy like you that the message of grace that God's put in your mouth goes after religion like it does. And he said, that's the part I like. He says, because you go after that religious spirit that brings so many people into bondage. And he said, that's why I listen to you every week. I listen to you every week. And, 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 and I'm not, that's not, I'm just saying that, that kind of stuff there that I just named about divorcees and divorcees, and all, that's religion, see. God, God, God forgives. Nobody's walking around. There's no second-class Christians. There, there's none of that stuff. There's, it's just, it doesn't exist. But yet, and, and it breaks my heart, and it actually gives me fuel for fire, for passion to go after it because if I can just preach it to enough that somebody will believe it and it releases them from it. Now, I feel like I'm kind of doing something. Uh, this lady was devastated. She went through a divorce. What are you going to say to her? She was too hard on herself. And I'll just say that the reason she put up with so much from this guy was because she didn't think she could ever get another guy. Can, can I tell you, you, you can get another guy. Choose, but choose wisely. But there's guys and gals aplenty, okay? Don't buy, don't buy into the lie that you got to put up with that because there's nothing else. And then start serving time just so you can say you're married. Miserable. It's not life. Uh, and, and, and most of you know the story. But one Saturday night, by God's grace, he gave me a prophetic dream. And I saw her in my dream. Now, this is the honest God truth. I'd never had discussion with her about kids or anything. They didn't have any kids in this marriage, whatever. And I don't even remember her age, but her age was getting to the point that medically they say, you know, it kind of gets dangerous having kids at certain ages or whatever. If you're going to have one, go ahead and get it done, that kind of deal. And so that she had that clock pushing her too a little bit. And I just remember on that Saturday night in a dream, I saw a prophetic dream, and I saw her, and I saw her pregnant, and I saw her give birth to a little girl. And, and I knew from the dream that God had given me a prophetic revelation that I was to go to church that next morning and to call her out publicly and prophesy that to her. Now, you've got to have some boldness or be an idiot to do that. And I knew it was God, and, and that wasn't my first rodeo, and I don't mean that arrogantly. I'm just saying I knew God would tell me. But it, what made it so pressure on me is I'm just to prophesy a baby to a woman that ain't even got a boyfriend. People don't look highly on that sometimes. So I'm just to prophesy not only a baby, but I'm going to specify the gender. It's a little girl. And God also showed me in a dream that the dream of this woman's heart was to have a little girl, to dress her up in real frilly dresses. And she, that was always just a, a dream of her heart to have that. And so I went to that church, my church, that morning. And, and this is kind of how, you know, as weak as I am, like Johanna said, she prayed and she wasn't powerful. She just prayed. I, you know, I'm like, God, you know, I'm like, if she's there now, I'm going, I'm going to pray for her. You know, I'm going to prophesy. But if she ain't there, that's just stupid. You know, and so I said, God, if this ain't you, don't let her be there. Because <laughs> if she's there, I'm calling her out. And so I go to church. There she is. And I didn't wait until after I preached. I called her out. 
and I brought her up front, and all of it's on tape. Maybe one Sunday it'd be cool to have her and her husband come here and bring everything with her, including the tape, and so you could hear it. And, and so it's recorded. So we always gave the tapes to people that got prophecies as an accountability. And this is what we said. And so they could make war with the prophecies. Because when you get a prophecy from God, you're going to need to make war with it. How many knows what I mean by that? In other words, if somebody calls you out and prophesies wealth to you, you probably have to go through a dry place where finance is going to be a challenge. You might as well learn that. And so while you're going through that challenge and money goeth instead of cometh, you need to be playing that prophecy and declaring the truth to God. Now, God did the same thing to Abraham. Abraham got real disgusted one time, and even though, you know, he had all these promises of land and kids, and don't let me forget, Pastor, I'm going to come back to the woman, but, he's got, but, but this is what God does to him. He says, God says, Abram, I, I, fear not. He says, fear not, I am your exceedingly great reward. I am your shield and your great reward. Now, why would he tell Abraham not to fear? Abraham had already done a lot of stuff. He had already went and saved Lot from five uh, kings that were coming into the land. To, 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 and they took Lot and all of his uh, entourage, all of his stuff captive. Now, remember, I told you when you bring Lot with you and you're supposed to leave him at home, it causes you problems. Right? Now, now God blessed them so much that the land couldn't bear all of them. And so Abraham does what a lot of Christians won't do when it comes to money and stuff. He says, listen, I, you're, you're my brother, and I don't want to fight over stuff. And this is what I want to do. I, I don't want no problems with you. Okay? So, but this land here, you know, is not going to bear both of us. So you pick what you want. And if you pick the north, I'll go to the south. Or if you pick the east, I'll go. I just don't want no problems because you're family and I won't be fighting over stuff with you. So the Bible says Lot did this. He looked around and saw the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he chose that for himself. And right after it did that, it said Lot separated himself from him. And it said, and the word of the Lord came to Abram after Lot had separated himself from him. See, sometimes you got to let, you got to get separated from stuff because that's what's stopping you from hearing God. In other words, you, you got to separate yourself from what God told you to leave way back yonder. But you wouldn't do it and God's loved you all the way. But after, isn't it amazing that after Lot separated, now all of a sudden Abram can hear God clear. And, and this is what he said, he said, you come here, son. He's, and I believe I see this image like, hop up on daddy's lap. Let me show you something. Look around. 360, take a look. He's just looking around, you know. And, and Yeah, that's great, God. And, and he said, all that that you just saw, that's yours. But I thought, like, don't worry about him. I got, I got him. All the land. And I, what I want you to do is I want you to walk to and fro in the land, and I want you to claim the land, and this is how you're going to do it. You, everywhere you go, build an altar and worship me. And establish my name, Yahweh, in this land of Canaan, because this is my land. And the Canaanites have taken it over. But it's not going to be occupied by Canaanites and causal fights and won't do rights and won't live rights. It's going to be occupied by my children, because I've promised it to them through you. And so all of this is yours. And then 
the enemy comes in, takes Lot captive. Five kings form a, a coalition, and they come against him, and Abram defeats all of them. And not one hair of the head was lost, not one man was lost, and he did it with 318 men, Abram did. And, and he took Lot back and, and saved him and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's got to take a lot of energy for you to do all that. And, and then God has promised him a child, but he don't see a child. He's got a guy in his house named Eleazar that's a servant. He kind of adopts him as his own kid and says, I want that guy to get be the, maybe that guy's my kid. And, and God comes to him and says, fear not, Abram, I'm your exceedingly great reward. Now, what's, why is he telling him not to fear? I believe he's telling him this. Listen, just tell me what's on your heart because I already see it anyway. And I want you to bear the real truth, and I want you to question me with the questions that you've got because I've given you promises. You don't see how it's going to work out, but it's okay for you to ask me questions, so come on with it. I can take it. Let's hear what you got on your, head, on your heart. He says, all right, God, this is what this, right after God told you not to fear, this is what Abraham says to him. He says, now what, will you, what sign will you give me? seeing that I go childless. And he said, Eleazar's in my house. Is he going to be it? And God says, no. And God says, clearly, he, this is a child that's going to come from your own loins. So God just ends that discussion. And God says, now listen here. And the Bible says, listen, the Lord took him outside. And he says, see the stars, son? And don't, don't ever mistake the stars that you and I can walk out in this area and see as to the way it was in the ancient world. Because all the stars are, are, are hindered by all the lights of cities and all that kind of stuff. But in that world, there's no street lamps. There's nothing fighting you. It's just, it's just the heavens are filled with stars. And he says, see if you can count them. Now, God had already told him previously that he said, your, your seed shall be as the sand of the, uh, of, of the sea, seashore. Be like sand. And now he's showing him the stars. And so he gives him a visual aid. <clears throat> Abraham doesn't have a Bible. He doesn't have a thesaurus. He doesn't have a, a commentary. He, he doesn't have Google. He, he don't have anything. Okay? When God promised him a seed, he didn't go home and get on Google and see what are the chances of me at, you know, almost 100 being able to have a child. Search it out. You have to make a decision to focus on your promise and not the problem. Do you know that you can take a little coin and if you get it close enough to your eye, all you'll see is the coin and you will blot out the sun. Now, which is bigger, the sun or that coin you hold? It's not hard, y'all. The sun's a lot bigger, right? But you don't see the sun, do you? Why? Because you're so focused on what? That coin. That's the way it is when you focus on your problem instead of the promise. The problem is not bigger than God, but to you it becomes bigger than God. Because, what? listen, whatever you focus on, that you will magnify. Whatever you focus on, that you will magnify. That's why David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. See, you can't make God bigger, but you can make God bigger in your eyes by focusing on God, by focusing on the promises of God instead of the problems that you're facing. See, the, 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 the faith of God will cause the force of God and faith in you to become more real than the problems. And how you'll demonstrate that faith is you'll start moving in that direction, even though you don't know how in the world it's going to come to pass. Now back to the lady. I call her out. She's single. She's not dating anybody. She don't have a boyfriend. I don't even think maybe she even wanted another one. But she did want that promise of that little girl. And I called her out and in, and in, in total obedience to God, 
I said, I saw you in my dream last night. And this has been a lot of years ago, but I said, I saw you, and God told me the dream of your heart was to have a little girl. And I saw you dressing her up in my little frilly dresses and all like that. And God said, if you don't relinquish the hope that's within you, the day comes that you will hold that little girl in your arms. And I prophesied that baby to her. Now, I didn't prophesy anything about a husband because God didn't tell me anything about a husband. But, I, you know, I've read the Bible, and I know God, and he's not going to give her a baby unless she's in covenant with a husband. And so a husband is kind of like, you know, just icing on the cake. He's coming with it. So basically what I did, I prophesied not only her a little girl, but I, promised, I prophesied to her her husband. Now, we, 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 had, we had the uh, uh, House of Grace, and Pastor, Pastor Keith uh, uh, is over the House of Grace there in Sparks, and it's, it's ministry that, that ministers to these men and, and, and helps them get off the drugs and addictions and whatever, and, and been going for so many years now. What a blessing. And I remember there was a guy one Sunday that was dressed in a nice suit and, and out there, and, and a lot of times I'd call all the people up front, and I remember I called that guy out and I prophesied to him and, and prophesied about business and different things like that, and I would have never dreamed that he was actually one of the men that was in the house of grace. And I didn't realize that, and because if I'd have realized that, you know, I don't know, stuff gets in your head. But I prophesied those things to him, and that guy, I did not know, would later become her boyfriend this lady and I remember you know as far as women go they, they all said that guy was good looking to me all men are ugly including me okay so I, mean, I don't want to date none of them you know what I mean so so but this guy was a nice looking feller according to all the women in the church and I mean particularly the single women and uh you know nice looking man they would say and we had several single sisters in the church that was vying for his attention you know what I mean but I won't go into details on that but you know pa pastors know stuff so they were vying for his attention and this lady that I'd prophesied a baby to, she didn't even, I promise you, she didn't even consider herself in the running to get this guy's attention and didn't even try. But God brought Eve to Adam and Adam to Eve. You understand what I'm saying? And God put that together and so became, they became married. I, I did their wedding. I'm, I married them, you know. And, and so then they set about to fulfill the prophecy, right? She gets pregnant. Oh, we were so excited. Oh, God's doing it. Oh, the word of the Lord is coming to pass. We're if it's not, oh, we're if, and the church got so excited. And she, and she got pregnant, and she didn't carry the baby but a few months and had a spontaneous miscarriage. And the whole church heart sinks. Oh, why'd that happen? I don't, here we go. You don't know. Stuff goes. Got a word from the Lord, though. Got a tape. It says a little girl's coming. Months go along, months go along, months go along. Pregnant again. Carried the baby about another month longer than the first time. Spontaneous miscarriage, baby would crash. And I could see it affecting my whole church. People were like, what? What? What's this? And then they set an appointment with me because I'm the pastor and I'm the dude that prophesied it. So they come to my office to want to know what's up. And I don't mean they come in there arrogant. They came in there with tears flowing. And this is one of those moments where me as a personal pastor that prophesied hated prophecy. That's why the Bible says despise not prophesying. Because there will be a day if you prophesy long enough, you'll despise it. Because it you, you just want to be a regular guy. You, you know, see, regular pastors that don't do all this don't get in trouble like that. They can just preach three points in a poem and go home. But if you prophesy, people are going to come to you with questions. So here they come. And they're like, Pastor, what do we do? 
I don't have no answers. Heaven is silent. God ain't saying nothing. They're sitting in my office. They're weeping and their hearts are broken. And they, they've had two pregnancies that didn't come to pass and they don't understand. And all I could say to them was bring them back to the word of the Lord. See, when Abraham is out there walking and saying, I ain't got no baby and I ain't got no land, he had two visual aids. When at night when he started out and he laid down and he looked up at the stars, because he's a nomad, he could say this to himself, so shall my seed be. When he's walking in the wilderness, in the desert, and he sees all that sand, and he starts to doubt in his heart, so shall my seed be. It's the sand of the sea, so shall my seed be. And he just quotes it. Now, what do you and I got? We got a visual age called the Bible, and it's filled with your promises. And until you're walking in darkness and you don't see it, you, got, you quote that promise. When you're walking in the daylight and you don't see it, you quote that promise. You, you, you have a visual aid. You have the word of God before your eyes. You, you have the word of God. You have the promise of God. So I told that lady and her husband, I said, oh, I said my heart breaks for y'all. And I don't understand it and I don't have the answers. Other than there was somebody that heard that prophecy that morning besides just us. There is an enemy who seeks to bring discredit and disloyalty uh, to God. And I said, He's attacking that seed. He, he don't want that baby to come because of it, it'll, it'll bring shame to God. Prophecy won't be real. People will lose confidence. There's a big attack going on here. I said, this is what my word to you. If you don't relinquish the hope that's in your heart, the day comes. All I know, I, don't, I can't explain the two miscarriages. All I can tell you is the day comes that you will hold that baby girl. And that's all I could tell them, and they got out and walked out. And I can't tell you they skipped out. I, don't, I can't tell you they walked out feeling, you know, wonderfully different. Months and months go along. Third pregnancy comes. Sometimes now you get a promise, but there's going to be problems associated with it, and you've got to stand on the promise even though there's problems. Here comes the third pregnancy. Now, what I did do that was different is I did as pastor, I went to several specific people that I knew that would be no, no, no kidding, no joking around, would covenant with me to pray for that woman and that baby every day. That's the only thing we did different, that I did different. And, and I, didn't get, I didn't go to a lot of people. I just went to two or three people, two or three uh, people that I knew would go into covenant with me. And I said, would you agree with me that every day that we will bow our face before God and we will pray for the safe arrival of this baby? And they said, we'll do it, Pastor. And that's what we did. And that baby came. And I remember my wife came one time and told me that she'd talked to her. She was still talking to her almost daily. And she, they had done the little, you know, ultrasound or whatever and, and said, it's a little girl. And she told me that. You know, I said, of course it is. It's what, what I said. Glory to God. But inside I was like, yes, glory to God. What, and they said, you know, what would you have done, Pastor, if it, they said it was a little boy? I said, well, there's a girl on the way. <laughs> Girl's next, then all I can tell you, that's a little girl, you know. And they said, it's a little girl. And she gave birth. The little girl's name, and she's, I don't know her age now, she's about 16 now, I guess, 15, 16, I don't know. Her name's Mary Alice. She has won so many beauty contests, I can't even keep up with them. I'm friends with her on Facebook and her mom and stuff, and she still sends me stuff. She sent me stuff in the past few weeks. She's won national events and all kinds of stuff, and she has dressed that little girl in a lot of free little dresses. And she has hauled her all over the land and, and competed and, and, and got to, you know, they're, they're just living the dream. 
Listen, whatever God's put in your heart, you don't, don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. And if one thing Abraham teaches us, you can be 100 and your wife can be, you know, 85 or whatever, 90. But God's promise is not contingent on you. I love this here. In Romans 4, it says, and Paul right, talking about Abraham again. Paul, Paul says, listen, Abraham considered not his own body, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God, but through faith he believed that even though his body was good as dead, God was able to bring it to pass. The psalmist said it like this, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Now I want to end this with this. What, what are you letting arise? It says let God arise. And if you let God arise, your enemies, which are his enemies, will be scattered. There's a weird deal in this story with Abram. And after that Genesis 15, and he, God says, fear not, and tell me what's on your real heart. And God says, no, this thing's going to come from your own loins, man. Just, just believe me. The Bible says that Abraham went to sleep. Sun went down, and it said a gross darkness. One translation said a horrific darkness came upon him. And the Lord literally put him to sleep, it says in, he, in the Hebraic. He put him to sleep. It's the same expression that God did when he caused Adam, a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And he reached in and took a rib. And, and, and he brought, and from that rib he created a woman, and he brought them and joined them together. Now, you hear people say the Lord took this, the Lord took that. The Lord don't take anything unless he's bringing it back. Because if you take it and don't bring it back, that's called a thief. So the Lord didn't take your baby, and he didn't take your husband, and he didn't take your job. The Lord didn't take anything. If the Lord ever does get involved in that where there's things that are removed, it's because God says to bring something greater back to you. And so who wouldn't swap a rib for a nice woman? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, I mean, so he leaves with one rib and he comes back with a woman. That's why it's called whoa man. Because like, whoa, man, woman. That's what he said. And Adam just gets so excited, he starts prophesying. He starts prophesying out of the, his own realm. He says, you know, you know, bless, you know, mother and father. And, I mean, Abraham didn't have no mama. He didn't have no belly button. He didn't even know nothing about all that. But he's prophesying out of that. What I'm telling you is that Adam found himself alone and needed something to fulfill God's plan. And God took a rib and brought him a woman. In other words, God divided so he could unite. Now, Abraham, a deep sleep comes upon him. And what he had told Abraham, he said, listen, he told him five different animals to get, pigeon, sheep, and it's all in the Bible there. But he, he said divide it, split it down the middle. And, and then and it said a deep sleep, once he got the animals split down the middle, then a deep sleep came upon Abraham, and then he saw this flaming fire appear, and it began to walk among the animal pieces and, and that gets weird and I've heard some pretty weird explanations to what's going on there and 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 I just offer mine I want to tell you that what God I believe is doing remember that he had promised him a child but he also promised him the land and what's happening is those animals are symbolic of the land and the land has been divided Lot and Abraham had already divided the land and then it says, remember, the vultures came down, and Abraham drove them off the carcasses. Remember those five kings? They came in like vultures to try to take the land. And Abraham was used by God to drive those vultures off that land. 
And what God was saying, the day comes that my spirit will move throughout this land and I will reunite this land again and that promise I made to your seed, that land will be theirs. And that land's literal and that land belongs to the Jews, to Israel. And it still does today. And that's why there's still great war sometimes over the land. But God promised that land to Abraham and it is his children's land. And that, that, that's still in force. Now, God had prophesied even in Genesis 15 to Abram that 400 years that they'll be live as nomads, but then the day comes that they'll begin to occupy the land because my spirit will bring it to pass. And God drove the Egyptians off of that land. And he drowned Pharaoh and his soldiers in the Red Sea when they crossed into the promises of God. And so you've got to understand that, 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 that when we have these promises, and they can be something really huge, okay, or it can be something not so huge but just personal to us, but listen, I mean, what, do you, what are you believing for? You, you, you tell me, not literally, but you, I mean, what are you believing for? It could be ministry, it could be a spouse, it could be, I, I don't know what it is. But you, it could be health. But you got to promise. But you're going to have to let God arise if you want your enemies to be scattered. You're going to have to magnify the Lord so that you don't magnify the problem. You got to You can't get on the internet. And listen, I, I'm tempted with the same things that you guys are. I think we're all pretty similar. You start hurting. You start having pain in your body. How many of us don't think of cancer right out the gate? I wonder if it's cancer. I wonder if it's this. And, and you start feeling that fear. And then if you, if you really not, you start getting on the internet and you start searching your symptoms and, man, before long, you can be planning your funeral. You can be cashing your chips in. You know what I'm saying? That's not the way that you and I live because we have a father. We're not orphans. And we focus on the promise of God. I shall live and not die, declare the works of the Lord. Uh, by his stripes, I was healed. That doesn't mean we don't go to doctors. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use doctors. We got sense. Right? I mean, you know, who's not going to do the, the thing that God's provided for us? A doctor wants the same thing if, that you want. That's you healed. If you don't have a doctor like that, you need to change doctors. But the whole healing originates with God, just like sickness. Now, I was thinking this morning, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who went about doing what? Good. How did he demonstrate that good? By healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. That one verse says it all. All that Jesus does is good because that's all that God does is good because Jesus is the exact representation of Father God. He is the express image of the Father. And so I remember the day that that lady held that little girl in her arms at my church and the day and the Sunday morning that I dedicated her back to the Lord. And at her request, she said, Pastor Dale, would you mind, before we dedicate Mary Alice, could we play the cassette tape or the prophecy the, the, the morning that you prophesied her to me? I said, absolutely. And I remember that day as a very high day in the house of the Lord at Cornerstone. Because that day, people got to hear a single lady who had gone through a horrible divorce with great hurt and pain in her life be prophesied to. That's why prophecy is good. 
she was prophesied to that she would have a husband she would have a little girl the dream of her heart would come to pass no matter what she had gone through and then they got to see that man and his wife and holding a little baby named Mary Alice a little girl and you know that Sunday I felt the faith in our church rise so high because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord now, you got to get yourself in the Word of God and focus on what God's promised you. Don't listen to the negative and, the, and, all that, and let God arise and let your enemies be scattered. Magnify the Lord. And, 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 and don't bring that problem so close that it blocks out the Son of God. Amen? And is there any kind of good news been said in here today? I want you to stand and give God praise. Hallelujah. Now, standing right where you are, it's 1159. I'm fifty to get you out 12. On the dot, glory to God, I'm good. Listen, what are you believing for? Close your eyes so you don't see nothing but God. Close your eyes. We don't do this much right here. Close your eyes. Okay? What's the, what's the, what are you believing for? What, what are you believing for? And once you get that image of what you're believing for in your mind, Raise your hand just to signify I got it. I know what I'm believing for. Let's just go after one thing today. This is what I'm believing for. Okay, hands up everywhere. Okay, okay, good. You got it. All right, eyes closed. We're believing. This is what we're believing for. Now let me ask you this. Do you got a promise from God that goes with that? Sure you do. Exalt the promise now and declare the provision. Exalt the promise, declare the provision. I, I, I don't deny there's problems. Problems always accompany promises. But the provision is coming. Father, we believe you for the promise because the promise guarantees the provision of that promise. And so whatever they're believing you for, they've lifted it before you this morning. Father, we thank you for the promise that guarantees uh, the provision. And God, let that word from you, Lord, be a force more real than what we call reality and let the faith of God arise in the hearts of these people so that they can face reality because the force of the faith of the promise is more powerful and it gives them force to march in the reality of your word and as the sand of the sea and as the stars of heaven and as the word of God says that so shall it be to us because we believe you we believe your word we believe your promise in Jesus name Amen. Say amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Amen. We love you. God bless you. We'll